0: Welcome to Telltales, an investing podcast hosted by Hunt Lawrence, Jason Wallace, and Mike Nicoletti. Each week, we discuss topics ranging from geopolitics and macroeconomics to energy and technology. You can sign up for our newsletter at telltales.us. That's T-E-L-L-T-A-L-E-S dot for additional data and content you can use to follow along. The following conversation is intended for informational purposes only. You should always do your own work to determine if an investment is suitable for you. We
1: start with Exhibit C. Nothing really new here. There's been a lot of publicity about drone strikes and anti-ship missiles inhibiting trade of not just oil, but also container ships and and using the Red Sea to get through the Suez Canal. I can see it make too much difference to the price of oil. It's considerably more time to go all the way around Africa. But I don't think it makes so much difference to the oil markets. The oil market is, I've said in prior weeks, it's just oversupplied. The demand's fine. But U.S. production is high. sanctions have really been kind of loose, you know, for Iran sanctions. And there's just over oil supply than there is demand. If we turn to exhibit B, price is kind of holding in the range of 70s, bottom of exhibit B. There isn't as much backwardation being when the future price is lower than the current price. There isn't as much backwardation as there used to be. You look at the beginning of 22, the prompt price is 85, price three years out was 68. Now the crop price is 75, and the price three years out is 71. As far as natural gas goes, problem. Demand's okay, but supply is running quite a lot higher. Uh, The forecast here for 104 piece a day, well, uh, the U.S. production onshore and offshore is already running 104, so it's the supply, not the demand. That being said, one of the principal LNG projects that was supposed to come on was, has been deferred, Golden Pass. Uh, it's a joint venture of Qatari government and Exxon, and for whatever reason, they were supposed to come on fairly soon, but they deferred it into 2025. The other thing to keep in mind is that, that yeah. a new project from Venture, who has Shell Pass and documents Ms. We have what they call CP2. There's a long article on the New York Times this morning about environmental plates about CP2. Uh, in the early stages of an LNG development, you have to get the work which regulates all things natural gas to agree that it's in the public interest. And the environmentalists are complaining that it shouldn't be in the public interest to build more. Hopefully, uh, the idea that we need to protect Europe against the lack of Russian gas will prevail and CP2 will get its initial clearance on that bird. Exhibit A, which is government spending, cash flow, not too much here. I, I do think that maybe it's wishful thinking. I do think there's an inflection point here when spending is brought up, not just for Israel or Ukraine, but just spending all of a sudden is up is popular, and that's overdue. Uh, you can see that all other expense category reached almost $3 trillion during the second year of COVID, up from under a trillion. It's now about a trillion and a half dollars. It would be much better if that got back to a trillion dollars, or closer to a trillion dollars. Hopefully that may be on sure. Mike and I are going to try to allow more than 10 minutes at the end for healthcare. I mean, we do have some news in the first three or four pages. One is that Amazon has indicated that they're going to go into the business of selling cars that made a deal with Hyundai, Korean manufacturer. And presumably the dealers will be involved, but they'll shop for your car. While we're on Amazon before Mike gets into it, what he thinks it means for others, um Tesla just paid one pretty fully price. We make the free cash flow there, five billion dollars, and it uh, two hundred and forty dollars was a twice a couple of weeks ago. It's a hundred times free cash flow. Tesla, unlike Ford GM, doesn't have dealers. And in fact, when Tesla inventory gets to be more than 10 or 12 days, Mike and Jason look at this pretty carefully. They drop their price. Tesla has to pair to Ford GM or used car dealers like Comax and Carvana, Seems almost prepared for something like Amazon. Kind of a, a new way of, of integration. In the car business, Mike and I have been talking. We're impressed with the other significant, successful electric car manufacturer, BYD, Chinese company. BYD is in a race where he Mm -hmm. turns out the most battery cars with Tesla. And it looks like BYD will, will exceed Tesla this quarter and next quarter. And that's without counting hybrids. is just pure battery cars. BYD is, isn't marketed in the U.S. yet, but they are looking for a site to do assembly in Mexico. So that's something to keep an eye on. They also plan and are yeah, I think executing a plan to offer BYD cars in Europe. So presumably, BYD will be like Tesla, doing this without dealers. We were at board in GM or, or BMW or Volkswagen or Toyota. this new way of looking at at the way cars inventory is handled, and having Amazon, you know, the largest online retailer conventional car business, this would be uh, troublesome if you're a traditional car manufacturer. With that, I probably left out a lot of mistakes. Thanks. I'm going to send it over to Mike for his commentary on
2: the development. Yeah, no, I think it's an interesting um, change. And we're seeing a lot of changes in the automotive industry. And This is kind of a trickle-down effect, I think, of of it. The shift to more of a consumer electronics type of manufacturing bodes really well for large-scale economies And... In the traditional model, the automotive manufacturer doesn't have a lot of control, doesn't have any real control over end price to the customer. So I kind of see this as a way the automotive manufacturers to gain a little bit more control over the customer experience, if in this case through an intermediary like my, like Amazon. It does reduce the amount of money being going to the dealer, but dealers are looking at it saying, well, if Amazon can bring in the sales, then we're just more units. That's a win. Uh, In this case, Hyundai is looking at it the same way as Tesla saying, we need to produce more units on every model run. And that will be figuring out how to get to more customers faster. So, you know, is there any reason that you should have to go through three hours at a car dealership in order to wrestle with each and every little option, stain guard on your seats, and all, all that kind of stuff, when you could just buy it online, I, I don't think so. And I think Carvana sort of showed the industry that not only was it possible, but it's also preferred by the customer. So you have you have a couple dynamics going on. Most important, how do you get scale manufacturing? How do you grow um, grow a dealer network if you're working within a dealer network? And this is sort of a win win. I wouldn't be surprised if before the end of this year, you have at least one, if not two or three others, sign on to Amazon's. Brand.
1: A good question is: if you don't go to the showroom, you don't have this relationship with the dealer. What do you do? If you got a car new or used, you decide you've made a mistake. Carvana, and well, CarMax first, which was operating out of large stores, no hassle, no. The, the sales were not saying, no, you have to go to the general manager to get this approved. CarMax would give you a seven-day period during which you could return the car. Carvana if one better. Carvana said, well, bring it to your driveway, and you also get a seven-day period. I assume part of the Amazon Hyundai offer will be if, if you take possession of the car and you don't like it, and you call us or contact us within seven days, we'll come in and pick the car up. This is going to be a real redo of the car industry as we know it. And as Mike said, one of the things you see with Tesla, presumably with UID, and I think the other car companies, not just US companies, but German companies and European companies in general, will do fewer models. It's almost like harkens back to Henry Ford, where you know, he, he makes a bottle of tea. And they're all black. You know, it's just trying to try to reduce the number of changes to activate on the production line. I'd like to follow that up with N now this is totally unheard. Mike and I have talked about this. But if we look at the first three or four pages and and your cloud providers, Amazon being the largest, Microsoft Azure being the second, And I think uh, the rest of the technical is Google and, and Oracle. And and they have big demand for running AI models, and the GPU's to do that. And the video has very high prices, very high markets on the GPU decides mm-hmm. I want something that you makes. How do you cope to trying to keep your capital costs down if you're uh, software as software too? One is to design your own chips mm-hmm. and have. Run GPUs and have Taiwan semiconductor or Samsung that data And so you look at the media, which is on page three, and you think, well, they're going to eventually have to worry about competition on those chips from, you know, proprietary chips that Google makes or Microsoft makes or Amazon. But on the other hand, you are one of the cloud providers and you have a large customer like for example, when you get to the healthcare committee will we'll focus on Pfizer. So are having they're having to struggle losing all that reduction in COVID vaccine revenues. Pfizer is a big pharmacy with a lot of research going on. Most of the video goes to Pfizer and states. You can do your accounts receivable and your accounts payable and other inventory functions and whatnot. But for your intellectual property, which your scientists are working on, don't you want your own uh, data center, which we will set up for you? I think NVIDIA has the capability to to do that. And so doesn't that take a high-value customer who would otherwise be using Azure Cloud or Amazon Web Services? And all of a sudden, you know, NVIDIA is providing the, the servers. So if you're a salesman for cloud services, Microsoft or Amazon, you're dealing with, a high bad. Yeah, someone's going to use a lot of AI models. Don't you have to worry about the video going to your customer and installing your own data center? And this is something Mike and I haven't rehearsed, but what do you think, Mike? Is that, is that happening or is that something if you're Amazon or Microsoft, you'd worry about happening?
2: The question is, you know, your fortune 500 customer, are they going to set up their own AI data center? Um, or are they going to use the cloud? And the answer is both. Um, And the reason the answer is both is there'll be certain workloads that make sense to have in the cloud um, and certain workloads that may may make sense to have some of their own hardware. Building out a full-scale data center for designing a foundational large language model would be so cost prohibitive. There's only a few companies that are capable of doing um so you know that's like meta right meta has one of the largest NVIDIA deployments out there um tesla has one of the largest nvidia deployments out there and has even designed their own chip so 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 they have a few people doing that the vast majority aren't going the vast majority are going to start with foundational model and maybe do some level of training against it so They'll be able to make that calculation whether it's more cost-effective to do that in the cloud uh, with a partner like Oracle or Microsoft or to do it local. Um, Nvidia's sort of got the best of both worlds going because they have for a product called DGX Cloud. You can get through any of the major cloud cloud providers, or or you can buy the hardware. And from Nvidia's perspective, they don't really care which one, um, and and, it, and they basically just leave it up to the the CIO or CTO to, to, to say CFOs, you know, how, how do you want to pay for this? You want to rent it? You want to buy it? Um, and maybe there's some data security stuff. That them prefer to have some things um, local, but cloud security is all, I don't think, an issue. Um, the other thing that you mentioned is from a cloud, cloud company. If you're Microsoft, if you're Amazon, if you're, you're thinking, okay, two things. One, these NVIDIA chips are really expensive. So how do I justify the CapEx? Um, I need to have a short payback, right? Because so you don't want to be stuck with a bunch of worthless chips. So payback period, last time I looked in on NVIDIA the H100, where you're looking at like a 12-month. That's pretty good. Um, they know they're going to have stable workloads with a particular model over a period of time it'll make sense to invest in silicon Uh, the downside is that silicon's going to find what's capable on a car so most um, and and the argument for NVIDIA is really NVIDIA will stay ahead of basically the rest of the industry and everything else is going to chase so you'll always be able to get that 12 months four months of value out of quote-unquote overpriced or far more expensive via chip than you will versus the rest of the rest of the
1: world. And well, we have 10 minutes left, we got to switch to page 15, which is healthcare. One of the reasons I'm not really qualified to come up with you know, somebody being their own Data center built with NVIDIA equipment. But in, in looking at Bond updating the, uh, for the nine months, they have purchased earlier this year, an engineering organization that specializes AI. It has their own data center filled with NVIDIA chips. So at least there's one entity out there that, you know, prefers to have their own, their own cloud like to do, um, research. One of the things on this page that's just remarkable is how much cash has been accumulated. I mean, BioNTech has, listen, 8 euros, 16 billion euros cash on Adonis, less, about 8 billion dollars. But remember, biotech, Pfizer's partner. I mean Pfizer, you know, knocked their debt down. They still have 24 billion. Yeah. but I mean, that. Financial rewards for developing the COVID vaccine is considerable. But they they, and and part of these results with Pfizer with its free cash flow down to five billion results from taking inventory write-offs, not only on the COVID vaccine but also on some of their medicine. Like, um, Mike and I were talking this morning. We believe. We, we can't be sure, but we believe when you get into 24, that biotech and Pfizer will get to a point where there'll be some amount of COVID vaccine used every year, unlike their vaccines. And so they will strong some amount of cash flow, help support their RD program, if you're a biotech, and if you're Pfizer, where you have a lot of... Different. I mean, they have $57 billion of revenues at a current one rate. Look at their nine month results. Their nine months results are down 30 billion. By 30 billion, they're down is all children, but they have $57 billion left in revenues. So they're very substantial pharmaceutical. Company. But my guess, the answer this morning is, okay, some residual level of COVID vaccine, when Pfizer's case it's not going to be 30 billion, it may now be three or four, but it'll still be a contributor Pfizer. And in the case of Moderna BioNTech, where they're trying to bring on cancer vaccines and whatnot, it will, be, it will be really important for them to have some continued revenue. Between picking Moderna or BioNTech, I mean, the case for BioNTech, I guess, is that they have more cash. The case for Moderna is they're probably a little further along with their other, you know, trying to turn, other of their research into uh, into cash flow. With that, we don't have Jason, but Jason probably just as happy he's not on the phone, but uh,
2: we'll turn it over to Mike
1: to pick between BioNTech and McDonald's.
2: It's tough because I'm not an expert in all the different things that both of those companies do, but I do like BioNTech better mainly because of the way that it's been managed. Um, You know, an enterprise really value of $12 billion puts it within striking range of acquisition for any of the major pharmaceutical companies. And if you look at it, there's a number of the large pharma companies that have patents that are, that are rolling off in the next five years, and they need to replace that rep. So I wouldn't be too surprised if potential suitors are already sniffing around BioNTech it. or Moderna. Moderna would be a bigger takeout but BioNTech has you know $12 billion if you, you know, if you could get it for 24 I think that would be a no-brainer if you're Eli Lilly or somebody that wants more to the space Pfizer also could so I don't know it, it, it's interesting I, 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 but I don't have a great read on it and it you know, it's hard to say how big that COVID would be going forward. But we did learn those RNA vaccines are really effective and generally lack side effects. The best we, the best we can tell the that we have so far. Translating that into future uses of different drugs and different diseases will take time and we'll, we'll never have the, well, hopefully never have the benefit of such an emergency where we rush through trials as as we did in the case of COVID but the the science has been proved out in a lot, a lot of ways so only time will tell and, and the question is for both of these companies is how much cash do they have to burn until they actually have a product any pharmaceutical company is negative cash flow that's what you're looking at is how much runway run, do we have and how much time do we to get over the line
1: the neat thing about this and Vertex or the other two companies here is they're, they're, they've got continually research and products and free cash flow. We'll look at Vertex first and then Lightless second, but Vertex has $3 billion of free cash flow and $11 billion of money in the bank. And our, our financing are financing a $3 billion R&D budget. They are, I think, the first to have a proof medicine where you you actually edit genes outside the body. I mean, take material from that, edit genes and put it back, which is, you know, like almost science fiction. Now, the problem is, it's very expensive. So it's a million dollars per case. Uh, But the upside in protection pharmaceutical is this pain medicine, which is, just coming through a uh, base-rate trial, so yeah. that yeah. over the bike for recent development.
2: Yeah, so Vertex we really like. Well, it's a well-run company. They have, basically, their stable cash flows are coming from cystic fibrosis medications, and they are the clear leader in that area that we like with there. The CRISPR treatment for sickle cell is scientifically amazing. Um, people being rid of a disease that's hobbled them for their entire lives is really fascinating. The cost is expensive, but in comparison to the lifetime cost of maintaining that patient in the healthcare system, it's actually, believe it or not, uh, significantly cheaper. There's two other programs that we're excited about. So VX548, that's the nano painkiller, um, the most recent trial results were a phase 2 study um, on painful diabetic very common, up to 50% of diabetics apparently I, I have this and they compared it for different doses to see the efficacy and they also ran a control arm with the standard of care medicine. Uh, that standard of care medicine is a $5 billion drug. It's not an opioid but it does have some addictive properties. So really exciting thing and that's I think a lot of what the the markets picked up on the last last month or so has been the results of this study that at least in this phase two, again it's early, it's outperforming standard of care which is an investing 5 billion drug. The real upside will be painkiller replacing some opioids. So we think there's lots of upside with and exciting. The final thing that we think is really cool about Vertex is they're testing a potential cure for type one diabetes. And uh, this program is called VX880. So, you know, there's probabilities associated with them. Payoff off in any, of, any of them, type one diabetes, VX548, both
1: pretty incredible. Just, just before we break off, uh, we're now over 30 minutes. Just a commentary on land use. There's been an m a M&A development, which Mike will go through, which is kind of a potential partner to live this, which is free to be purchased for one life. And over to you, Mike. And we'll have to leave the rest of our, our discussion. Let's cover land use before we break off.
2: Sure. The, the acquisition is another nuclear medicine company called Raise Bio. Uh, it's relatively early stage acquisition, but the, the acquisition price was like $4.1 billion. We've noticed a lot more industry interest in uh, nuclear medicine. And basically, I think you could boil it down to the fact that uh, there's some pretty effective treatments come out, including including the ones we've talked about. Lanthius has, so Pilarify, the diagnostic, and PNT-202, which released some data that was somewhat negatively in, uh, received by the market as a, a prostate cancer treatment, as came up with a pretty similar to result, results as to what is already on the market. Uh, though I, I guess I would say that uh, those two trials can't really compare too similarly because they're using different diagnostics. So um, the long story short is, is there's a lot of interest in nuclear medicine. and uh, Lantius is is kind of been around that category for the longest time. I think their Pilaria diagnostic is really exciting, and some diagnostics that they're working on as well be exciting. So it got, all goes back to these large pharma companies are looking for new avenues to grow revenue and nuclear medicine is one in which there's a lot of
1: good. Well, we'll, uh, we'll have Jason listen to this broadcast and it'll get the it way next week. In the
0: meantime, be well and stay healthy. Uh, talk next week. Take care. Thank you for joining us this week. Please tune in again next week as we will be back on Wednesday. As a reminder, nothing on this podcast should be considered investment advice, You should always do your own work to determine if an investment is suitable for you. The views expressed on this podcast are the hosts alone and do not constitute an offer to sell or a recommendation to purchase or a solicitation of an offer to buy, any security nor a recommendation for any investment product or service. While certain information contained herein has been obtained from sources believed to be reliable, Neither the host nor any of their employers or their affiliates have independently verified this information, and its accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed. Accordingly, no representation or warranty, expressed or implied, is made as to and no reliance should be placed on the fairness, accuracy, timeliness, or completeness of this information. The host and all employers and their affiliated persons assume no liability for this information and no obligation to update the information or analysis contained herein in the future and may or may not hold positions in the securities mentioned.